Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. So, Teresa, what have you been watching on Disney Plus lately? Shows you're not watching. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay, give me one example. Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Okay, you're right. <laughs> but I do plan to watch that one. I mean, if you if you bring back Emilio Estevez in something titled Mighty Ducks, you kind of got to watch it, right? I mean, I guess if only if you're like our age. Yes. That grew yes. up with the Mighty Ducks. But from what I've heard from kids, because I've asked them, they've been watching it and they like it. And it's made them go back and watch Mighty Ducks movies. So, hey, whatever. I did hear a rumor, though, that cast members from the original Mighty Ducks films are making an appearance. Okay. But not Charlie. Not Charlie. You gotta not get Charlie. Charlie. No, there was something about that, like, COVID stuff, and he was filming something else, like another show or something, and because of all of that, they couldn't bring him in, you know? Like, they couldn't, he couldn't mesh on, like, two sets, you know, because yeah. of the COVID stuff or whatever, so he couldn't come. But I was like, well, if there better be a season two, because if Charlie's not at all any kind of an appearance in this show that's ridiculous <laughs> he's kind of that actor joshua jackson is that his name yeah it would be him he, uh, he was a very much 90s 2000s heartthrob i was gonna say he <laughs> he had the roles in you know mighty ducks where he plays like much younger but then like he kind of had that phase where he was is he dawson's creek yes it's okay. pacey yeah so <laughs> see how i'm asking like i don't know like it's but you know you watched Dawson's Creek. I didn't. I can honestly say I didn't, but I was aware of it. Um, okay, so I actually, being honest, I have never seen an episode of Dawson's Creek. Okay. I know he was Pacey, and I know about Pacey and Joey. Right. But I never watched it. That's funny. Because um, it seems <laughs> like, knowing the type of stuff that you've watched, it seems like something you might watch. I know, and I can watch it because it's streaming now. I just haven't done it yet. Maybe now's the time. I know, right? I should. But I feel like Joshua Jackson had kind of a resurgence in popularity when he did Dawson's Creek, and then he did a couple other things, and then it feels like he's kind of faded a bit now, so now would be the perfect time for him to do a cameo. Yeah, I mean, I know he's still active, I just don't know what he's in. Yeah. Yeah. Smaller so projects. I could go look it up. But also, I've been watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I'm pretty sure you've been watching. Yes. Yeah. I planned. I think I plan to watch all the Marvel stuff as it comes out. So that was one I was keeping up with pretty pretty much weekly as it would come out. Mm-hmm. Um, is there just one episode left? There's one episode left. It's this Friday. Ah, exciting. And that's it. That, then there won't be a second season. Like, this is a one-off. And it seems like there's a lot left to kind of wrap up, so it'll be I interesting know. to see. I know. Like, how is how it going to be, like, with where we're at in the show? You know, no spoilers, guys. We're right. not talking spoilers but like where they're at in the show so far i'm like how is there only one episode left there's too much left to tell or too much left to reveal i don't know but did but, you watch the mid credit scene from the last episode yeah 
Okay, just making sure. Yeah, I did. Um, and I, that's the cool thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is even if they don't wrap up some of the stuff, they can pick it up somewhere else. You know, right. they introduce a character here, that character shows up in another movie or another show. So it's it's the best example of a successful interconnected universe, I think, in all of TV slash movies. Well, yeah, I'm like talking about, uh, talking about that. We have Aaron Kellyman, who is in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, who was in Fist Nest. And... I just like getting to see her act because we barely got to see her in Solo. So she gets way more to do. Way more. Absolutely. Yeah. Although she plays a very similar character, which I, th mm. I found kind of humorous. You know. Yeah, I kind of. <laughs> similar, similar in the role she plays. Similar in motivation. Yeah. yeah. Deep down, but not similar in the sense of that she's now just turning into an assassin type of I don't give a crap character <laughs> right yeah she's going a little I -G -G -A darker IDGAF but no spoilers no spoilers but no uh, spoilers yeah so anyway yeah well there is a little bit of book news uh we have Thrawn uh the new Thrawn book coming out next week correct yes it is coming out next week so it comes out April 27th which is a Tuesday and read pop is trying to recoup losses from <laughs> no conventions and they're doing a virtual book launch that you have to buy tickets for yeah and not, not unheard of even when they were doing live events i remember new york comic-con they always would have a separate book event or not always but in the past few years uh they would do a separate book event for del rey that was a separate ticketed event so you had to pay more even though you already paid to go to the convention so true to I... form they're charging for this okay well all right so because you can still buy tickets as we're recording this mm -hmm. uh of course when you guys hear this i it might be passed but uh signed book and timothy kazan q a access on the 29th which is the day of the live stream event is $29. And if you just want to be a part of the Q and a, it's $5. I mean, $5 isn't bad. I mean, you know, for a virtual thing, I guess. So wait, does Okay. So if you pay the five, you get to, you get to listen to the whole thing. You just don't get the book. Correct. Okay. That's yeah. So that's if you, if you buy the tickets for the signed booklet, book plate and live stream, you get the opportunity to submit questions for the for the author and you get access to the live stream and you get the book plate and the copy of the book. If you just get the live stream tickets, you get access to the live stream and you can ask a question and then available to view until May 6th. So you have, I don't know, like a week or something to watch it. So you would, watch it more than once i don't know i don't understand but it's only five dollars or maybe if you know you can't attend it live you um, pay for it and then you watch it later yeah okay okay but maybe I it mean, ends up on youtube eventually for right. people that you know if you want to really wait till it's free it's probably going to end up somewhere out there some podcaster is going to record it or something but so but I, yeah, for so five if, bucks just attend it right yeah <laughs> i mean if if thrawn and zon which rhyme are super important to you. It's only five dollars. 
Yes, and you know, if you really want to sign the book plate, pay the extra. Yep. But there is something else that happened uh, between our episodes, and it's the book that came out, Skywalker, A Family at War. And it is written by a friend of mine. I don't know how well you know, Kristen. Um, I know her pretty well. Yeah, we've hung okay. out a bit. She, she hosts This Week in Star Wars on starwars.com and on the star wars youtube channel she also does the star wars book review show on youtube for starwars.com youtube's starwars.com's youtube channel Mm -hmm. uh and i was actually on the last episode of this past season um for that and she got a chance to write a star wars book which is amazing and she approaches these Skywalker family biography as if she's a historian in the galaxy. So you know I'm going to like something like that. If it's in-universe and it's like a historical biographical book, yes, please. (laughs) I remember when this book was first announced, and I definitely wasn't that excited about it. Just because Mm -hmm. it felt like, okay, more Skywalkers. Like how many times have we kind of told these stories? And it wasn't like anything new that was coming out about these characters. It was Mm -hmm. more just kind of gathering all the information we know. Um, But I did see it on the shelf when I was at Target today. And I picked it up and kind of started flipping through it. I was like, okay, I could see, I could see how this would be interesting. So I might have to grab this one. And now that I know Kristen wrote it, it kind of makes it even more enticing just because, you know, it's, it's always cool to read a book from somebody, you know, a little bit better. Yeah. Like we do with Amy Ratcliffe stuff. And I, I really do think, that we need to get our hands on this and we need to review it because I think Kristen would appreciate it. I think she would be like, Oh my God, you guys. She'd be fun to interview too. Although I don't know how easy Absolutely. it'd be. I don't know how much free time she has. It seems like she has a lot on her plate with everything she's doing, but yeah, it would be kind of cool to get an interview with her. Absolutely. And I just want to read from this article from dork side of the force that Chelsea Zukowski wrote as a review of her book. She says, even the book's inside jacket description notes, the narrative was compiled by piecing together historical sources like R2D2's memory files, personal diaries and correspondence, hollow recordings and news dispatches, as well as other documentation of galactic events. So, and I feel like this is right up, Kristen's alley I mean she is a journalist like she does you know this is kind of right in her wheelhouse but putting herself in the galaxy far far away instead you know and doing doing something like this I feel like it just it fits Uh, it also says that the book is broken up into three parts the father the twins and the dyad so that's Mm kind of cool yeah and and now's the time like if you're going to do a book like this because the entire the entirety of the Skywalker saga has now been told, right? And so now we can look at it from that historical perspective. Without, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be more stories with these characters. Obviously, you know they're not going to go away from the Skywalkers completely, but from I a movie perspective, <laughs> they might for a while. Uh, so it does feel like it's like a complete saga that you can kind of now look at from a, you know that historical lens. Yeah. Um. Congratulations to Kristen on her book, and I think we just decided we're going to review it. Okay, I, I think our, we just decided. Our schedule's pretty packed, but I'll, I'll find a slot. Packed, we'll find a way. Yeah. Life will find a way. 
<laughs> as the saying goes. Okay, so what are we doing today? So we are reviewing, you guessed it, another High Republic book. Because <laughs> that's what's <laughs> that's what they're giving us right now. That's what's going on. Uh, which I that sounded like I'm not excited about it, but I'm I love the High Republic book so far, so I'm actually really excited about it. Yeah, no, we we're just tongue in cheek, guys. Tongue in, yeah. tongue in cheek. We actually really do like the High Republic. If you haven't listened to our two previous episodes covering the first two High Republic books, then make sure to go back, check those out. Uh, but this is for High Republic Into the Dark. Yes, I think it's our third episode in a row covering High Republic, High Republic stuff. We might have a break coming up because we have Alphabet Squadron, <laughs> we have Thrawn coming up. So we'll have a bit of a break probably from High Republic, but then we'll be back to High Republic uh, in, in a few months. So. Oh yeah, I'll just say this right now. The next episode you guys will hear is going to be the review of the last Alphabet Squadron book. I once again will not be here for that episode. Yes. We're going to have Megan on. Uh because straight up, I don't like them, and I don't read them. So I love how honest you are about that. You don't even well, try to candy coat no, it. No, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. Is that what you meant to say? Sugarcoat. It means the same thing to me. Candy. Okay. Okay. Candy well, if you're coat. candy coating it, what are you? What kind of candy <laughs> are you coating it with? M and M candy. M and M's. Yeah, because it has like that candy M&Ms. coating on the outside of chocolate, so that's like a candy. I was thinking more of like Skittles. Okay, well, that would I mean, work too. I, I mean, it's got you. You, I like how you went chocolate and I went just straight sugar. Yeah, that might that might be have a deeper meaning. I I know, right? Yeah. Somebody analyze us on yeah. that one. Um, but no, I mean, I just I tried to read the first one. I didn't like it, and I just decided that they're not for me. Um, I like having them on my shelf. They look pretty. They do. But I don't I don't feel this pull to read them and. Megan does such a great job. She has for the last two Alphabet Squadron books. Like, why change things? Yeah, it is it, yeah. it is a nice excuse to have a guest on because that's something that we haven't really been doing as much. Mm-hmm. So it gives us an excuse to bring Megan on and, and have her talk about a book. So, Yep. Yeah. One day there might be a book that you don't want to review and I'll have to do it by myself. Maybe. Yeah, it could be. I'm trying to think of something. What would that be? If they did like a Jar Jar Binks series... Oh my God! Stop. What if they did like a really, like, Twilighty sort of YA book? No, you would still read that. Yeah, I probably would. Although you would just whine about it. If they really leaned heavy into like some of the themes of other YA, like the you, love triangle and like the steamy and romance. Uh, yeah, I might be like, eh. but I'm gonna read anything that comes out. So. Okay, so apparently I'm just a jerk, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't mind. It's you know fine. what you like. That's that's good. I, good. I don't like ships. <laughs> and there's <laughs> and, lots of ships and in Alpha Squadron. <laughs> I don't like ship battles. Okay, so High Republic Into the Dark, published by Disney Lucasfilm Press, author Claudia Gray, who we love, released on February second, twenty twenty one. Padawan Reese Silas is being sent from the cosmopolitan galactic capital of Coruscant to the undeveloped frontier, and he couldn't be less happy about it. He'd rather stay at the Jedi Temple studying the archives, but when the ship he's traveling on is knocked out of hyperspace in a galactic-wide disaster, Reith finds himself at the center of the action. The Jedi and their traveling companions find refuge on what appears to be an abandoned space station, but then strange things start happening, leading the Jedi to investigate the truth behind the mysterious station and 
a truth that could end in tragedy. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to give a spoiler warning too, because I know we, oh, yeah. I know regular listeners know this, but I like to remind every once in a while that we will be getting into heavy spoilers. So if you haven't read this book, you probably want to read it first and then listen to us talk about it. We're going to tell you what happens yes. at the end. Yes. If that's your thing, listen on. <laughs> like the people who read a book, they read like the last two pages to decide if they want to read a book. Mm, I know you weird. and I have talked. I know you yeah. and I have talked about this before on the show, and that bugs me to no end. <laughs> Crazy. That's yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it's like, would you watch the last episode of a series, like the finale of the entire show, first? I think they would. Maybe. They would. Maybe. All right. So as we usually do, we talk about the audiobook first. I want to thank um, Penguin Random House Audio for giving us copies of the audiobook so that we can review the books so thank you so much to them and their kindness i of course did the audiobook uh the entire time i'm not sure how you read this one i so i did a lot of the audiobook because i have a method i don't know if i've talked about this on the show maybe i have so I will, i'll keep it brief but basically i listen to the audiobook as i read the book sometimes mm. and i put it on double speed and so it actually helps me read the book faster. So that's kind of been my method for the past couple books. So I I do listen to almost the entire audiobook, um, but I do it on double speed. So I'm not quite hearing it the way you are probably. It's a little bit mm. quicker. But your ears adjust. It's interesting. You You actually start to hear the voices normally, even though they're going two times as fast. Hmm. I'll have to see what that sounds like. Yeah, so it actually has been working pretty well for me to, to kind of speed through the books if I need to. Nice, nice. Uh, okay, so overall thoughts on the audiobook. I thought the production quality was great, as always. I think they used really good musical cues in this one. They also used some really good sound effects. But probably my favorite thing about this book was the narrator because it was someone different. It was a man by the name of Dan Bittner and it was refreshing to have a new voice, a new take on voices, and especially for all these new characters, none of them reminded me of anyone. <laughs> there was there was none of that crossover. Like I thoroughly enjoyed having a new voice in the audiobooks. And that's not a knock on any of the other narrators at all, because, you know, I really like, um, oh my God, everyone's names have just Jonathan run away. Davis's. There we go. Yes. <laughs> Jonathan Davis. Yeah. And it would also have Mark Thompson, who we love. We love listening to them. But we hear them so much that there is some overlap in character voices. Oh, yeah. And I know we've talked about that before. So I just really appreciate this of having a different narrator. I thought it was great. Overall the audiobook was wonderful. And I a lot of that is credit to Claudia Gray because when she writes, she paints this beautiful picture that you can just see in your head, even if it's not what you want to see. And we'll talk about what that means in a few minutes. Um, <laughs> but she does. And I think it's really awesome that she has that ability because it just, it breathes life in the audiobooks. So I agree with your assessment that it was nice to have a new voice. 
Dan Bittner. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope they use him more. I actually really enjoyed his way of portraying character voices. Yes. Uh, he just had him. It just came across a little bit more natural and not so like I'm trying to do a voice. Yeah. And I really appreciated that because that's something that some of the other one narrators sometimes can fall into some of their typical accents or voices and they're really trying to sound like something. And um, there's always one or two characters that are a bit off putting for me when it comes to the voices in these books. And in this book, I didn't have that at all. There was not one character that I thought sounded annoying or just this voice didn't sound right. I thought he did such a good job with it. Um, you said that there were no voices that you thought sounded familiar as far as like sounding like a character. Mm-hmm. There was one for me, which I really liked his voice that he did for um, um, Master Comac, Vetus. Comac Vetus. Yeah, he, his voice sounded kind of like Opt- Optimus Prime to me. Oh my God, yes. But I really okay, liked what it. I meant, but what I meant was like, it didn't sound like another Star Wars character. Like, you know yeah. how sometimes um, you get two voices for two female characters or two male characters and they sound almost exactly the same? Yeah. Okay, but the Optimus Prime vibes were totally there. He was so good. Like, he had this really cool commanding voice that reminded me of Optimus Prime, and I really, that was maybe my favorite voice that he did in in the entire book. Autobots, roll out. (laughs) So, yeah, I hope they they use Dan uh, more. I hope this wasn't a one and done for him. We love you, Dan. Yeah. We stan Dan. I hate the stan word, but it fits in that context. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so this is a YA book, and I think it's important to point that out. Claudia Gray does a great job in both mediums of adult and YA. I like her YA a little bit better, but like, and when I say a little bit, I mean like a little bit. You guys can't see me with my fingers and how like small the gap is, but it's like really small. (laughs) Can I admit something? Oh, no. I didn't realize this was a YA book until Yay! deep into the book. Because, That's so good, though. Because, the like I had said, they didn't send me the hard copy this time. Uh, so I was doing it through like a digital. Or maybe I didn't say. Maybe I said that pre, pre-game. But essentially, I didn't have the hard copy. And so I was using my phone to read through the book. And so I didn't have the cover. I didn't have the, you know, it didn't. It didn't say Del Rey on it, you know? So for whatever reason, I just thought this was a a Del Rey book. I didn't think it was a Disney publishing book. And and I know Claudia Gray does both. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't weird to me that she was writing a a Del Rey book. And the the book really read like, to me, it read like an adult novel. It didn't really read like a a YA, like some of them are a little bit more noticeable. Um, So yeah, to her credit, she didn't write it in a way that me as an adult found it obvious that it was YA. I would agree. It didn't have the typical YA structure or the YA feel for most of it. There were parts that I feel like did, but overall, I think you're right. Um, But I also think that's good, though, because that means that the YA genre is sort of opening up away from its stereotypical stuff, which I think is good. Uh, but I still think it's accessible to the YA audience. I mean, I 
if I have a choice between reading a YA book or an adult novel, your girl's going to pick a YA book, even though I'm 36. So I know that that genre pretty well. And yeah, I agree with you. I think it read more like an adult novel, but simplified a little bit. Once I realized it, that it was YA, and I think it was like pretty far into the book. Then upon reflection, I started thinking about certain things. Like, okay, like Wreath definitely is the main character. Yes. You know, and he's a teenager. Uh, Correct. They, they talk about, you know, just little things with him and, and Nan. Nan. Where they were like a little bit of kind of crushing. You know, she was crushing on him a bit, or at least that was the impression she was trying to give. And he was, you know, kind of like standoffish because of it. And I was like, okay, now that I know, I'm like, okay, now I can see some of the themes that maybe would typically be in a YA novel and not in an adult novel. Mm -hmm. uh, but that it wasn't super noticeable. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Now let's talk about Reef as a character. Reef Silas. So at first he was annoying because <laughs> of his complaining about having to go out and all this stuff. But as the story goes on and you get more into the nitty gritty of the adventure that they're in and the the danger they they face it becomes you grow with grief in the story and you see his growth from being this like almost annoying kid to a young adult that is starting to understand meaning and I really liked that I liked seeing his journey and being able to see that growth in that character because it was so profoundly like big difference between the beginning and the end. And I just thought I was like, wow, that was really well done. Yeah, great character growth for him. He at the beginning of the book is a character who doesn't even really want to go on this nope. adventure. He doesn't want to be a Jedi that goes. He wants to be a Jedi that stays in the temple like his entire life. Right. Yeah. He's like, he'd probably be okay if he ended up being the librarian. Right. And he likes doing his research and stuff. And so it was interesting to have that be a central character. Because typically, you know, a lot of times these more central characters are the heroic type or the adventurous type. You know, so to have him be the central character... It was it was a different kind of way of telling the story. Now you definitely have heroic types around him, mm -hmm. for sure. And I liked the dynamic of him and Dez because Dez was the he was almost the he was under the same master at one time, but almost the polar opposite. Yeah, exactly, completely polar opposite. And it was almost like he was the cool, popular kid in school. You know, he's like the star quarterback, and and Reith is more kind of the bookworm so it was hey, a, it was a nice dynamic rude there's nothing wrong with bookworms no it wasn't it wasn't a negative <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> it was no but know. true and they were both under jedi master jora molly which we already knew at this point that she had been killed because yeah. of the other two previous high republic books so we already knew but knew about that so it was kind of just a matter of time when the character would realize what the reader already knew. And that was, I don't know how to put it, but like, I guess heartbreaking is kind of a good word. It was like, I knew 
that whole time that his master was dead. And then, and it's like knowing something like that, but not being able to tell some, tell your friend, you know, and they have to hear about it on their own. And just like, I don't know, I got vibes like that. And mm-hmm. I just, I felt like, I felt like a terrible friend. Like I should have told him, you yeah, know? It's like watching uh, Attack of the Clones and knowing that Anakin's going to go bad the whole time and trying to tell Padme like, no, don't do it. Don't, don't hang out with this guy. Like I wouldn't you know have told her coming. that she loves him. You know it's coming for these characters, but but, I, but she loved him for for <laughs> to her <laughs> to her detriment. Um, hey, what? I disagree. That's we a, should have for a talk a about other, this, and I know that's a whole other episode. Why was that what you would pick? Why well, would I was you thinking about that of all things because I think that's the most that's the biggest uh, example of that you know, in Star Wars is a character that you already know what's going to happen to this character, but you can't do anything to stop the trajectory. So when I think of that in Star Wars, I think of Anakin, because we all know when we're watching the prequels, what his eventual end is. See, it's funny that you go to him and Padme, because that's not where I go. I go with, I want to tell Obi-Wan, don't watch the holocron or the, the hollow video thing. Don't watch it. He kills all the kids. And then he watches it, you know? Because <laughs> you don't want Obi-Wan to see that, or you don't want Obi-Wan to Well, no, know. I feel like I should have told him before yeah. he watches it. Right, you know? yeah. So that's yeah. that was my point, bringing that up, was just that we've kind of already had to do this as Star Wars fans. Because a lot of times with Star Wars stories, we're getting previous stories about things we already know are going to happen. Uh, but I didn't have the same experience as you with this in the book, because I didn't remember that she died. Oh my god! When I read it. so. Ah! When That's it funny. when they said it in the book that she died, and I'm like, wait, did I already know that? And then I thought about it, and I looked it up, and I'm like, oh yeah, sure enough, she she was yeah, one of the died many. It, she died in the. It was her in that Trandoshan that were like fighting in their ships, and she didn't make it. And the Trandoshan Jedi did. Skirk yeah. or skirk, skreek, whatever. Skier. <laughs> I was just reading about him. <laughs> I was just reading about him in the comics, which I'm excited to get more into. I think I'm yes. like up to issue three now, and um, he's definitely a main part of the comic. So, so that yeah. kind of makes sense, though. I feel like his character would work well in a comic. Yeah, visually, he's he's very cool looking. Um, yeah. Okay, so Aaron, I'm going to ask you the question that Jedi Master Jorah Mali asked Reef: Why can no Jedi cross the Kyber Arch alone? I mean, we find we eventually find out the answer. I don't want to know what the answer is from the book. I want to know why you thought that. Like when she says that in the book, and he's thinking about that for the entire time. What were you thinking? Why can no Jedi cross the Kyber Arch alone? Uh, or did you not think about it at all? I didn't. It wasn't something that was really bu- bugging me. You know, I was kind of like, okay, eventually they'll they'll tell us. I mean, I knew that they were gonna tell us because it seemed like a big point. I wasn't ultimately very satisfied with the answer, with that, if I'm being honest. But I thought it would be something like, you know, there's always, you know, something to do with a master and an apprentice, or you know, the Jedi need to work together. You never should do something alone. You know, we're always more powerful as a group than we are individually. Like something along those lines was kind of what I thought the the moral of the story would be. Hmm. I when I um. 
you know, when I heard it like the second or third time and I was trying to figure it out what she meant, I thought it had to do with the force the entire time. Like you're never alone because you are one uh, with the force and the force is with you. Uh, and you'll never have to cross a Kyber arch, like this big giant thing alone. And also, I mean, it's made of Kyber, which is essentially the heart of the force is kind of what they sort of, I guess, allude to, or in my brain, that's how it goes. And so, you know, you're connected to it through the force. So, okay. I mean, I was, that's... that's where I went. I didn't go with like the actual physical, you know, we are the Jedi, we are a group kind of thing. Yeah. I wish I... more like. Your explanation is actually more satisfying to me than the book's explanation. Isn't that what they said in the book, though? Maybe. That's maybe what they I just said. misread it. I thought the end was kind of like all the Jedi that have come before you. Well, you yes, know, are I mean, represented it, there, and so you're never alone going across yes, it. Yes, but he also they also mentioned the Force as well. And I guess that makes sense because kind of like what happens with Rey, where she, you know, she's calling upon all the Jedi that have previously come before, and they're with her, so she wasn't alone in that moment when she was facing the Emperor. So I Correct. guess that's it all. It all makes sense. It makes sense. So we had two other kind of main characters, uh, Jedi-type characters. We had Orla Jereni, and we had Comic Vitus. And Comic Vitus was, I don't know, he was so interesting. There was something about him that I was like, he's like the wise old man, uh, but younger. And then Orla Jereni, I mean, you kind of get from the beginning, she is almost checked out of the Jedi Order. You know, because she wants to leave and become a way seeker and find her own way through life and through the force and feels like the force is calling her to leave the order and stuff. So it kind of felt like at the beginning, like she was just sort of checked out. And then as the book goes on, you can just see how amazing of a Jedi she actually is. And it kind of makes me sad that she's leaving. She kind of had some Ahsoka vibes. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And she has that cool lightsaber, like the folding lightsaber. Oh yeah, I guess um, some people would say dark, dark rays type of lightsaber. Yeah, she has a double bladed white lightsaber. Yeah, and she she's one of the characters that we know what she looks like because they've they've done some art of her. Same with Wreath. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the other characters we don't know. I don't think there's any art for um, Comac. But yeah, so we kind of know she's got this stark look about her, where she's got the white lightsabers, but she also has very like pale skin as well. Uh, so she's she's an interesting looking character. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I liked her. I thought there really wasn't a character in this book that I didn't like, honestly. As far no. as far as the you know kind of the main group. Yep. And then there's a group of people that are on a ship called the Vessel. They represent the Bind Guild, which I guess is just like a shipping guild. It's not like a smuggler group or anything. Well, I guess maybe under the radar of their smugglers yeah i think they were some sort of they were a bit shady kind of like han solo would probably be part of their guild you know if he was around mm-hmm. uh that type of thing where it's like they weren't straight up bad guys but they had they were dealing in some shady business mm-hmm. and we find out some pretty bad things about them later on <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they give us some of the cooler characters like uh leox Giassi. Joss- it's jossie 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 he, he's uh, cool he reminded me of someone though like oh my gosh and not a star wars character he reminds me of 
almost like a like a western sort of kind of character you know yeah like i'm even like almost like a pirate or yeah maybe maybe a little bit of jack sparrow in there jack uh sparrow hondo yeah like sort of thing kind of hippie free spirit type for sure yeah i like the way they described you know how he would dress he got all the beads and the real low low cut v-neck and you know he just seemed like a real just chill character and which worked well with Affie Hollow because she was a little bit more, although younger, way more uptight than he was. So they were, Oh yeah. they kind of played off each other really well. Yeah, I agree. And I thought Affie Hollow was a really interesting character as well. Um, she, like, she was a little hard to figure out at first, and then, and then I just really appreciated her character, especially as we got into, you know, as she starts to realize what the Bind Guild is really doing, you know, and things like that, and we learn all about her. circumstances and life and everything i was like wow And she was very, like, even when she first meets the Jedi, mm -hmm. she's very matter-of-fact, you know. She was just kind of, not that she was, like, putting them in their place, but she was definitely not intimidated by them. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the character's strength that she had, and then she kind of portrays that pretty much throughout the book. But even in the end, where she kind of has to make some really tough decisions around, you know, her adoptive mother... You know, she really kind of just really made the right call and wasn't afraid Yeah. to stand up. So she was a really solid character. And I I know with these YA books, a lot of times there would be maybe an expectation that, you know, you have a character like her, you have Wreath, they're going to have some sort of a relationship or like hint at it. And they didn't go there. And I like that, too. I agree. So let's talk about uh, Geode. Probably the best character on the vessel, if we're being honest. Maybe. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I like Leox. But I'm just like, there is a cult following for Geode. Uh, he deserves his own comic. It will be 15 pages of him moving slightly on each cell. <laughs> Look. He was, I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about him. Because part of me thinks it's such a clever thing that Claudia Gray did with him. But at the same time, it almost felt too tongue-in-cheek jokey. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to be one of those people that says, shut up. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to be one of those people that says, shut up. That's fair. He's quit taking it so seriously. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I thought it was really clever. I thought it was interesting. I was slightly confused at first. And I know you and I have talked about this, of sort of how we envisioned him in our minds, which is completely different. And also, 
I apparently seem to have missed the entire description of him in the book because I came up with this totally different thing. Uh, <laughs> completely not at all what he looks like at all. But in my head, that is the real Geo. That's his fancy outfit. Uh, so I guess I should explain. In my head, if you've ever been to like a cavern or a cave or something and they have like the little the because when I hear geode, I think of like an open geode, like an amethyst geode or something, and it's open, and you see all the little crystals on the inside and you have the little mountains, you know, of crystals. Yeah. And so to me, he looked like an opened amethyst geode, and he was fancy on one side. <laughs> you were just seeing party, what you wanted to see. Had party in the back. You didn't even uh, read the description, apparently. No, I, I completely missed it. Um, but I just thought it was really... I thought it was cool. I thought it was funny. I thought it was just a clever way to introduce a new character and a new sentient species. Um, I don't know. It was just like... I don't think it was supposed to be all a joke. You know, I think that's... I don't think that's giving Claudia Gray enough credit. I think she really did create this character maybe it started out that way but i think she really did create a character and a species well i think she and she has said in interviews that the idea came from her partner and yeah and he kind of just threw it out there like well maybe it's a rock you know and then she kind of ran with it so i don't think it was some well thought out like you know, oh, I'm going to create this new species. It's going to be really unique. Like, I think it was kind of like a tongue-in-cheek thing, and she just kind of ran with it, which is fine. Like, if that's the type of character she wants to bring. And if if I'm being honest, every time Geode was brought up in the book, it brought a smile to my face because the way they used him was so clever in how, like, characters would interact with him as if he spoke, mm -hmm. but he didn't speak. He or, speaks in his own rock way. But he's like, you know, Leox is like talking about something. And he's like, okay, Geode, like, you know, don't get on my case about this, you know. And Geode hasn't said a thing. Like, or Geode just happens to be in the right place at the right time. Like, even at the end where he saves Wreath. Just that kind of stuff where it's just like, he was used very well. I enjoyed the fact he existed. So, you know, I I think I'm I'm on board with this guy, you know. It's just really, it's still a little weird to me. Well, get on board, okay? He's, yeah, it's fine. I'm sure if he gets his own book series, you know, then maybe maybe I'll have a little bit more of an issue with it. But as long as he stays kind of this side character that just makes me smile. Someone make a Geode book that, <laughs> yeah. that Aaron has to read. Because uh, he said he'll read it all. And if he is, maybe if he gets injured at some point and breaks open what maybe he, he does oh, have maybe he does he have sparkly purple amethyst on the inside that's what i'm saying so maybe he does maybe okay. you're right you just don't know it yet maybe now there was an aspect of this book that i really didn't enjoy and that was when they kept flashing back to 25 years earlier when Comac and orla were on missions when they were padawans yeah um to capture these or to rescue these monarchs that were captured. And I've just kind of noticed that like, I'm not a fan of the time jumping in books because unless it's very clearly delineated, I sometimes will have a hard time following it. 
Um, I would just kind of rather stay in like the current timeline. I don't see why we have to keep doing this in books. And it's not just in Star Wars books. It's been in other books too. It's like, I don't care. Star Wars <laughs> has been doing it a lot lately. But they have. They've been with, doing it a lot and I'm over Thrawn. it and I'm done and I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. They did it with Thrawn. They did, yep. they did it with this book. Um, they did it with Master and Apprentice. Yes. They did it with what Dooku. Was the, the Dooku book. Yeah. So they they definitely it's it's a tool they've 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 brought out a lot recently. All this, right. So I'm just gonna say this in case any Star Wars book people that matter are listening, quit. Okay. I'm done. Yeah. They. <laughs> I think it, this book, the way they did it, and it was a very limited number of times. And it was it was a singular story that was happening every time they went back. So that's true. I can appreciate that. This one didn't bother me as much as other ones. In fact, I don't think it bothered me at all in this book. I was fine with how they handled it in this book. Whatever. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, kind of a character in this book, but isn't really a character specifically. Is this really like ancient? space station which you discovered some stuff today that you shared with me about this space station but this space station is weird it's like an arboretum of plants yeah it's like a big greenhouse like i don't understand what this was originally or whatever but yeah very interesting very weird very hard to picture but i eventually got a sort of picture in my head that doesn't look anything like the comic that you showed me um mm. so i'm glad for the comic because that helps me a lot but uh yeah tell me a little bit about that yeah so it does show up in of all places the rise of kylo ren comic series which is shows how far in advance they were planning the story out right mm-hmm because when that comic came out, you know, nothing from High Republic had been released yet and it was just in the planning stages. So they purposely, I think, pl- planted, you know, the the visuals of this space station in the Kylo Ren comic where, you know, this is where um, uh, Snoke was, or Snoke, sorry. <laughs> Snoke was actually like living here or at least hanging out here. He had like a throne and everything uh, in the future. You know, obviously the future of of the High Republic. So, so yeah, they have like a a lot of visuals in in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic where you can see, you know, the station from the outside. You can see, you know, him inside the station talking to Kylo Ren. Um, so yeah, I thought that was cool. I hadn't read the Kylo Ren series yet, so when I had I had seen that referenced, I'm like, oh, let me go look at that. And so I pulled it up today, and and that's where I got those visuals that I sent over to you. Mm. So, and I think the the connection to the dark side with mm-hmm. this place, you know, there was uh, the Sith at some point discovered it, and there were these, you know, we're, we're gonna kind of meet this this uh, alien species that's like plant based. The um, what are they called again? The Drengear. Yeah, the the Drengear, Drengear, whatever. They so they were there, and I guess the the Sith saw them as like a threat so they basically made them go dormant and yeah by placing these like statues right these, like idol statues there right they placed these statues there which was you know kind of holding back the dark side which was what these things were thriving off of so they're not like they're not 
dark side users per se, these plants, but they, they kind of th feed off of the dark side, if that makes sense. So they're not like throwing people around with the force or fighting with lightsabers, mm -mm. but they just kind of, they're, they're invigorated by the, the dark side. So when it's around, they can, you know, it wakes them up and they can kind of wreak havoc. So the Sith tried to stop them. The Jedi show up now and find these statues thinking that they're, um, you know, doing the place a favor and taking these statues out of there, but not realizing that by doing that, they're essentially releasing the dark side again. Yep. So it's, it was a cool concept. I, I like, you know, when they start to talk about the dark side and the mythology behind it. And so it was, it was cool that they added in these, you know, kind of dark side relics and these statues. I always, always think that stuff's fun. I also like that they described at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant when they took these things, they took them down below the Jedi Temple and let us know apparently that the Jedi Temple on Coruscant is built on top of an old Sith temple or something. Yeah, it's like a, a ne Force Nexus or something like that, I think. Which Yeah. Which is something that has come up in other stories. And, you know, obviously when the Emperor takes over Coruscant and then he, you know, he's now basically he, you know, took over the Jedi Temple and was using that space as well. So I think that area of the city, you know, has that kind of dark side nexus or not dark side, but just force nexus that both the Sith and Jedi are drawn to. Um, and that goes back even into Legends. They they kind of talked about that being the, the, the home of the Jedi Temple being built on kind of like a dark side. Uh, place so yeah it's cool that they're bringing that back and, and kind of giving us a little bit more detail about it in the high republic yeah i agree so just like we've had in the other high republic books the night hill do play a role here they don't play as big of a role as they did in the other two books uh in this gear in this book the bad guys are kind of the drin gear um but the night hill are involved a little bit and there's the characters of Nan and is it Haig? Haig? Yeah, I think Haig. Yeah, Haig is a Zabrak, by the way. Oh, Which is I'm he? Like, okay. I'm like, they put Zabraks in it. I yeah. forgot. Yeah. Uh, and originally, the Jedi didn't know that they were Nihil. They just thought they were the, that Nan was kind of this young, innocent girl. And Wreath gets one of his very first. Uh, I don't know what you would call it, but like, you know, moments where he has to fight for another person and has to, you know, essentially cut off the arm of or the whatever of this like raider character that had captured Nan. And I mean, they were alluding to some really dark stuff or that was my true crime brain that turned on when they were trying to kidnap this girl. But either way, he saves Nan um, by cutting off this guy's arm. And he struggles with that a lot because he just I don't think he ever saw himself ever doing anything like that. Well, come to find out, Nan is a part of the Nihil. And he after that, once he finds that out, he's just completely. I don't know what you would call it, like flabbergasted, maybe or <laughs> You know, just he's destroyed. He's like, oh, my God, I saved a bad guy, you know, by hurting another bad guy. <laughs> and he's like, I must go fix this. He wants to go back to the station and 
you know, basically arrest Nan and, um, which doesn't end up happening by the way, but he, the fact that he saved Nan does come into play at yeah. some, at, during the story when they do go back to the station because she, she tells him, you saved my life once. I will give you one pass. And he's, like, and he's like, and he's like, all right, peace out. <laughs> like, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, you're welcome. I'm going to run now. Bye bye. <laughs> well, all the Jedi kind of screwed up in this book. All of them. You know, every single he, one. He messed up by, you know, being duped by, well, they all were duped by her and, and her, and Hague. Because well, at that point they didn't know anything about the Nihil. Yeah, they had they never. Really these particular seeing... Jedi had not fought the Nihil. Yeah. And even seen them, and so yeah, they were all duped. And then so he's got to come back to kind of fix his issue. But then also the other Jedi, you know, feel responsible for removing the statues and releasing the dark side. So then they got to go back and fix their issue too. So they all. And ha- then in the meantime, Des Ryden they think is dead because he disappears when they're trying to you know, explore the lower levels of the station. He like, they think he gets turned into space dust. Yeah. Which I kind of, as that happened, it was so abrupt and unceremonious that I was like, there's no way he's really dead. Like they're, he's going to show back up later on. And when he, so when he did end up showing back up, I wasn't so surprised, although it, it took long enough that I was starting to doubt my prediction but yeah, he does end up showing back up, which I was happy because I really liked his character. Yeah, I agree. Did so? Des gave me, uh, oh my god, he gave me vibes of another Jedi. Okay. Like, like one from the movies or from? No, well, I think both. Um. I, yeah, I don't know that he reminded me of any other Jedi, but. I just like the way he was portrayed. Even the voice that they did for him, I, I just I really liked him. Yeah, I agree. So when he ends up, you know, quote unquote dying, I was like, oh no, gone too soon. Like, but you know, they, you know, Light of the Jedi didn't shy away from taking away, you know, killing some pretty cool Jedi. So I kind of thought maybe he was dead, but in my mind, I was thinking, eh, I think he's coming back. Especially the way he went, where he just essentially disappeared that I figured there was going to be some some explanation as to how he still survived. Yep, I agree. And then when we do get him back, he's like all jacked up. He's been in like he's had these the venom essentially of the Dringear poisoning him and screwing with his brain and he ends up feeling like he's completely lost his way with the Force and with the Jedi and he has to decide a new path for himself, and he's basically putting himself into exile to rediscover his connection to the Force. And I was like, don't, Luke Skywalker, don't, <laughs> don't go to the island. <laughs> yeah, they they kind of talk about the same type of stuff in the comics, too. So it's definitely, you know, I would recommend to people if you're not reading the comics... I would say it's worth it, you know, to at least pick up the first few issues because they do kind of get into the the Drengear and kind of how that works. Like they do kind of what they did to Dez happens to other people too. So, and just to get a visual because, you know, obviously in the novel you're not seeing what the Drengear look like. 
so in the comics they really show some really good visuals of of them so yeah it's definitely worth reading the first few issues of the of the comics cool yeah i'm gonna have to do that oh man so apparently that the other thing i realized or i didn't know this maybe you knew this but in the the dark legends book that we that we reviewed Mm, mm -hmm. There was a Target exclusive version that had an extra story in it <gasps> called A Bitter Harvest, and it was about the Drengear. 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 Yeah. So <laughs> it was about those, Let's those plant things. Let's work on things. pronunciation. Dren. It's Star Wars. You can... Okay, say, you can, say Dren. You can say things however <laughs> you want in Star Wars. Okay, Han and Han. Han. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> so, Drengear, Drengear, Dren, I don't whatever. Whatever. Plant thing. You can read it, but you can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like when I first read Harry Potter and I didn't know, um, like, I don't know if it's Scottish or Irish names. Yeah. And I didn't know that Seamus was Seamus. Because it's literally spelled Seamus. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I did that with Hermione, too. I was going to say Hermione. Like, uh, Hermione? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, God. Even the thing is, I even listened to the audiobook, so I should know how these things are pronounced. But, like, the way I see it on the page is what really kind of burns into my brain. And so I do sometimes have a hard time pronouncing uh, some of these Star Wars words. Especially when they're pronounced different, like Nile, I've heard it pronounced Nihil, like two yeah. very distinct Nihil and Nile and Nile, and I've heard like that Nile River in official sources. So I don't know what the right one for that is either. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I do hope someone emails us about your pronunciation of Drengear. Nobody's really made fun of me for my pronunciations except for you. So, look, I know there's other people out there that are laughing their butts off right now. <laughs> You're and saying I'm being laughed at? Just one one of you. Email us about Aaron not being able to say Drengear. Um, <laughs> I just you know, what? know I'm you... not I want to know I'm not alone. Somebody will now because you asked for it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so basically, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that's happening here. But one thing we haven't talked about is that Affy has some big time realizations while they're on the station initially she starts to notice like this kind of almost smuggler's code written everywhere and when she gets back and at first she thinks that it's uh other members of the guild that are stealing from from their leader which is scover and she's basically been adopted by scover because her parents died and so she's like her adopted daughter and she comes to find out that no it's not that she discovers that the buying guild basically has people that are indentured servants to them and that they're not all actually free and that the only way to get out of their servitude is to take really dangerous missions, and one of which is going to the station that almost assuredly kills almost every single person that goes there. And um, she also discovers the bigger thing, which is that her parents were actually indentured servants to Scoverbine, who's the leader of the Bind Guild. 
And she just, she's infuriated. She's completely, completely destroyed by this. And she decides that she wants to go back to the station to get evidence that she needs to present to Scover to get Scover to stop endangering indentured servants. And I think she was a little bit naive to think that Scover would actually change her mind. Um, but she was trying to do this anyway. And she ended up not having enough, but she had to to do it the way she wanted to. But she had enough to turn in Scover, basically turn her back on everything that she has uh, because of the Bind Guild and turn her into the authorities of the Republic, which she does. Um, and her adopted mom is arrested and the Bind Guild is essentially disbanded and all kinds of stuff. And it's just like... That's bold. You know, like you have luxury, you have pretty much everything. Like this guild is gonna get handed down to you, but you fight for the people that don't have anything instead, which I mean, I would do. I would do what Affy did. Uh, but it's not like it would be easy. I mean, good lord. Plus it was hard for her because that was her mom. Right. essentially like her adopted mother it wasn't something where she was adopted but she didn't want to be you know she really saw her as a mother figure and you know throughout the book she even at one point thought that she had died mm -hmm. her mother her adopted mother had died and so she was really sad about it and then when she found out she was still alive she was you know so excited about it and so they had obviously had a great relationship so for her not only is she turning in the leader of this guild she's turning in her own mom yeah which is you know it makes it even harder so and it was kind of cool how they went through her thought process at the end mm -hmm. where she's thinking through the okay you know i'm essentially this is going to be handed down to me i can make change you know kind of play the long game you know inherit all of this and then run it you know the right way and end the you know kind of end the the bondage of these people but then she realized that that just wasn't going to be the right way to go about it. You know, yeah. that was going to take too long and that she really, the right thing to do would be to end it now, which means turn her mom in. And that's, you know, that's what she did. And so it was, it was like, I had kind of, you know, alluded to it earlier in our review, you know, it was a really strong move on her part and really kind of showed her, her character. And I really, mm -hmm. you know, I, I really liked her character and I'm glad that they're kind of setting up, her and you know leox and even geo <laughs> to be you know kind of they're probably going to be recurring yeah i'm assuming they'll we'll see this group again they're going to stay together as a crew they're still going to have vessel uh yeah so that yeah it was really cool yeah i agree and the this entire time since Wreath finds out that his master is dead, he the Jedi Council has essentially told him he has to discover his own path. And he eventually comes to that he needs a master that's not like his other master. He needs a master that is kind of on the other side of things. And he asks Comac Vitus if he will... Um, allow him to be his Padawan. And the interesting thing is that Comac has never had a Padawan before. And you also go through Comac's thinking of what it would be like to have a Padawan. And one of the key things about 
Comac's character is that he sort of questions his relationship with the Force and with the Jedi and what it all means. And he's really honest with Wreath about that. And but he still agrees to take on Wreath as his first ever Padawan because they can learn from each other, which I thought was really kind of cool. And I appreciated it. He said something like, what better way for me to learn than to teach? Yep. And that was kind of his indication to Wreath that he was going to take him on. Mm-hmm. So and it, they're a good match, you know, because if Wreath is kind of more the bookworm type, and, you know, Comac's like a Jedi scholar, you know, that they're, they're going to have a lot of the same interests too. So, Right. So, yeah, I think um, those two will be a good pairing. And I know for sure Wreath is going to be kind of central character. Yeah. Um, Wreath an and, um, and what is her name? Um, oh, my God. We have the... Uh, Vern. Vern. Yeah, and Vernestra. Vernestra. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they, because they both, you know, Vernestra took on her own Padawan, right? Uh, yes, she and, took on Emery. Yeah, so Emery's there, and then you have Wreath, who's with, you know, Comac. So it'll be interesting. I to want Bell, Bell Zedifar to come in to the story too. Yeah. So they, I mean, they've. They've introduced us to a lot of really solid characters, and you know it's almost like you want them all to be. In I know, you know, because like, I want oh, them I, all. I miss a couple of these characters already, so I'm glad to see that there's. You know, it seems like there's a lot more coming out, and hopefully, they're doing well enough with sales that they'll continue on to multiple phases of this. Of this story. I want loading great storm. Um. <laughs> So, and the last thing that happens, which I think is done purposely, almost like a Marvel uh, end of end credit scene, is that Nan goes to meet with Marcian Rowe. And that kind of ties back to the Nihil and the Nihil's drive to destroy the Jedi because of everything that happened on the station and stuff. So it's just kind of like that neat little ties it up in a bow you know, and we'll see what happens next. Yeah. And this book, this book was the vehicle to introduce the, you know, Drengear. Drengear. Drengear as, (laughs) (laughs) as, you know, like a new threat. Right. And we know from this book, they're kind of introduced and it seems like the Jedi kind of take care of them in this book. But if you read the comics, you know that that's not true. They're, they're still out there. So, so that's definitely a threat that Jedi have to deal with. And we also now have, we already know from Light of the Jedi that the Nihil are a big threat as well. This book doesn't really portray the Nihil as that big of a threat. They're kind of a side character in this specific yep. book. But I like that they bring in Martian Rowe at the very end to kind of remind us that he's still out there. Right. And because he was, you know, he was definitely a formidable uh, villain and I'm glad and even the even though they had a different narrator for this book he still got the voice right um, you could tell he did his research and, and tried to match the voice for the way Martian Rowe talks because he he does have a very unique way of speaking so yeah I was I was happy to see him pop up at the end so overall how did you feel about the book how many bookworms would you give it? I really I really like this one it was this was more 
up my alley than than the uh, the last one that we read. Test of Courage. Test of Courage. It, I didn't like it quite as much as I liked Light of the Jedi, though. Light of the Jedi, to me, so far has been the best of the High Republic stuff. But this was a nice companion to Light of the Jedi. I would say Light of the Jedi into the dark test of courage. I like, would agree with that. Yeah. I really liked it. Uh, I would give it like four bookworms. Yeah. Uh, maybe four and a half, but I don't really want to cut a bookworm in half. So I'd give it like four bookworms. Um, I think Light of the Jedi was like five. So. Yeah, yeah. I think we're aligned. I think mm-hmm. we're aligned on that. So you're going to give it four bookworms. Okay. Uh, you should say it. I give it four bookworms. You're never going to get it out of me. <sighs> Gosh. All right, you guys. Well, that brings us to the end of this show. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have time to read emails from listeners, but we will read them on our next show that I'm on. So not the Alphabet Squadron um, show, which will be the next episode. But so next next episode. <laughs> yeah. We'll episode get... 124. <laughs> not 123 uh so please send us an email i'd love to know your thoughts about into the dark i'd also love to know about whether you say dringier or drinkier uh and what else do we want to know i want to know if you're watching falcon and the winter soldier and what you think we i will say this though i know we're not reading emails but i did notice that jack who had sent us an email that we read last episode Mm. and you had joked around about him changing his name to flapjack um, he did change his name on Twitter to Flapjack. What? Yeah, he did. So I okay that, that happens. Well, so so shout out to Jack uh, for playing along. But if you want to get in touch with us, I know I just said I'm never on Twitter, but if you want to reach the show on Twitter at swbookworms, and you can email us starwarsbookworms at gmail.com. So please send us an email that I won't ever read because Aaron will have read it first. Uh, just kidding. Um, <laughs> and you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Star Wars Bookworms, or join our Facebook group. And you can tag me in that group, and then I'll know that you are reaching out to me. So just look for Star Wars Bookworms as a Facebook group. Yes. And, to, and you know, I think with the, with the whole High Republic stuff going on right now, it's a great opportunity for cool discussions around this stuff, so... I would encourage people. I know the the group has been a little bit quieter lately. So I would definitely encourage people to jump in and kind of share your opinions on how you're liking the High Republic books. If you're reading the comics, you know, anything like that, you know, it's it's a great area and there's so many cool people in the group. Um that would be it'd be cool to kind of get into some of those conversations. But you can also find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we'd appreciate a review. Those are always cool, especially the five-star ones. You can find Teresa on Instagram at Ice Cold Penguin <laughs> and Twitter. I just don't check. I it. know you, now <laughs> you've made it so nobody's gonna nobody's gonna talk to you on Twitter anymore. And um, I do check Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Av Goins, and I'm also on Instagram. But you don't really check Instagram. I do. I just don't do Star Wars stuff on Instagram. My Twitter <laughs> Twitter is my Star Wars space. Why? I just like, I don't know. If you want to see pictures from my last Disney trip, go to Instagram. Yeah. That's, that's... If you want to see pictures of just my life, <laughs> go to Instagram. 
So until next time. Keep on reading and may the force be with you. Dringer. 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 Jar Jar. Jar Jar. Jar Jar.